0: welcome to board game binge the place where we bring you bite-sized bingeable board game content across the industry i'm your host james staley and in this episode we're welcoming back jeff and andrew from road to infamy games also known as r2i they're the publishers of the smash hit canvas along with several other games that are in my collection gentlemen welcome back to the binge how you doing great Thanks for Thanks having for us. having us oh it's awesome awesome having you guys we we're talking quickly just off off air of course I geek out over your games because I own some of them uh we we're talking a little bit about canvas uh we'll maybe talk a little bit about afternova in a bit too because that was introduced to me just recently and I absolutely love it and of course we're gonna we're gonna talk about fromage which just uh, launched yesterday so let's start off first for those people that aren't familiar with you guys, We had you here on episode 65, that's almost two years ago. Uh, So I'm glad to have you back, but I encourage people to go to episode 65 to get the whole history of Canvas and what kind of how that all came together and the formation of the company, which is a really, really great listen. Uh, But maybe what you guys can do is just do a quick overview of who you are, kind of how you came about, and then land it to where we are here today. Sure, Sure, yeah.
1: Yeah, go for it, Andrew.
0: (laughs) Okay,
2: (laughs) yeah. Jeff and I um, grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. We met in high school. We uh, roomed together, and we always liked kind of playing games. Um, eventually, Jeff started a big online forum RPG, and we had a lot of fun just discussing that back and forth obsessively, and um, eventually formed into a desire to get the online play onto some sort of physical components. So we started um, designing board games and we eventually went to Kickstarter and uh, which was very stressful to run a Kickstarter, but we kind of fell in love with the process and we couldn't stop. So um, since then we just kept designing board games.
0: That's crazy. It's an addiction though, isn't it? Like it, it, and I, I don't know how best to describe this to people, but I usually say it's like a love hate relationship where um as as soon as you're into the campaign, you're like, why did I do this to myself again? Right. And then when it, when it's finished, it's like, okay, I want to do it again. Right. It's almost like having a baby, I guess. Right. Most people are like, you almost forget about the labor (laughs) pains and all the, you you forget about all that once the baby's there. And that's kind of like launching a a board game on Kickstarter. You have all those pains of blood, sweat, and tears, uh, you know, and then once it's, uh, once it's done and you're funded and You know, you you get to the next stage of now getting this game in people's hands and they get to play something you've created. Uh, You almost want to, well, it's not, you almost want it. You do want to do it again, which is kind of cool. Canvas was your first smash hit. Uh, You guys did, I think it was 16,000 backers, roughly $726,000, I think Canadian dollars. Plus, I'm sure once you got into late pledges after that, it continued to grow and get bigger. You've had two expansions since then what was that like for you guys as a company because you went from uh being like a part-time kind of doing this on the side right was that the moment you guys were able to then finally transition and say okay we're going to do this full-time this is now our business
1: yeah it it came at a really really important time for us um i actually had kind of recently been laid off from my my job i was uh working doing uh pre-production for uh commercials in downtown chicago got laid off after having just bought a house oh, uh, or a condo and I needed this board game thing to work out. So it was like really miraculous um, to have the, you know, these campaigns kind of take off when, when they did. Um, Cause we we saw some success with the crypt campaign and we're like, we need to follow this up. Like that was sort of our in. We're like, we, I think we can do this, but it wasn't until canvas that we're like, Okay, we we have a product that can, you know, l- have a life beyond Kickstarter. Um something that can keep our company yeah. afloat while we continue working on new projects and it's um it's been amazing that it's been self-sustaining in that way so far and I hope will continue to be.
0: That's got to be tough. Uh, I think, you know, most people in this industry are often doing it as as a hobby. They start off as a hobby, right? And then as it continues to grow, then they eventually will transition their well quit their day job and and move into that full time once they've kind of built that breathing room up. But the added stress you must've gone through, uh, knowing that this has to work, right. Was that a driving force for you? Was that what made you say, you know, I, like, I can't, this, this cannot fail because now my livelihood depends on it. Or how did you manage that stress? Cause I got to believe there's gotta be other people out there that might be in a similar situation. Uh, like how, how do you navigate that?
1: it was It was definitely definitely tough, but i I don't know. i it's hard to say uh, any campaign like we tried harder than another one. I, I think that's just kind of our personalities yeah. as we get really obsessive with it, even with our first one that we did as, really as a hobby, I just, after work, you know, our self-titled Road to Infamy game, we poured our hearts and souls into that thing. Yeah, You know, the campaign ended with a modest like 300 backers or something, but it's just something we've always been so crazy passionate about, you know. Um, We've spent any spare bit of free time after work working on those campaigns, and so um, by the time it, it came to, you know, the Canvas campaign, I think we were uh, seasoned enough to kind of know the steps that go into it, know uh, know what has to be done to to get the you know the campaign up and running, be successful, get the word out there.
0: Yeah, and, and I know obviously it's it's easy to keep gravitating back towards uh, Canvas. But I do have one more question on Canvas, which is your two ex- expansions. Was that always part of the plan or is it one of these situations where it's like, wow, I mean, that, how how can we take this to the note that we had no idea that the success was going to be that great? How can we keep um, kind of milking this thing, for lack of a better word? <laughs> well, how did that kind of come about?
2: Yeah, um, I think once we made Canvas, we always knew that People would want more art cards. They'd want to be able to make more piece of, pieces of artwork. We didn't really have anything planned after that. So we spent a lot of time after that canvas campaign thinking about um, what like a great expansion would be to it and what that would include. And, and yeah, really our our minds went, you know, wild with what we could figure out. Like the triptych of having like three boxes all next to each other that would line up to a a single image. We didn't really have that idea until the first box artwork was already complete. So um, certain things like um, probably seem more planned than they were. Um, And other parts were ideas we were kicking around as we were kind of playtesting and polishing the final canvas design. We went, oh, it'd be so cool if you could also do this or do that. But we just didn't have time to add those design touches to the base game.
0: Yeah, I mean the boxes are cool, right? How you can—it's one continuous picture now when you line them up. And I said you guys just off air. I was a bit embarrassed, but I—I I had my canvas copy uh, hanging on my wall, right? Because you guys had this brilliant idea of. Let's make this. Let's not put anything other than just the you know the artwork on the front. We'll put all the information on the sides and back so somebody can actually hang this on their wall like, like a painting. And I did. I had it above my calyx with a bunch of other paintings. Totally forgot about it. I hadn't played the game for like a year. <laughs> and someone uh was talking about it at one of my game nights. I'm like, oh my God, I actually I, I own that game, it's on my wall. So I went, I took it down and uh and brought it out about three weeks ago to game night. And what a treat being able to get people who hadn't experienced it yet. And as surprising to me, there's still people out there that hadn't heard of it. And, and when they got a chance to play it, they're like, this is a super cool game. They absolutely loved it. Uh, So it was, it was great. So now I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm going to hang on my wall. I'm going to keep it beside my other game. So I don't forget as I'm pulling my games out for my game night. But, and that's kind of the experience you go through, I think, with some of these games, right? Where you have, uh, a friend you'll go to your game night and they'll pull out a, a title and you play. It and you're like, Oh my God, that's cool. And then what do you do? The first thing you do is you either go on the company's website or Amazon or so forth. And I did that with after Nova, right? My friend had uh, backed, I don't even know when this campaign was. I think it was a couple of years ago, wasn't
2: it? Mm-hmm. Before canvas
0: is before canvas. So well, there you go. I had no idea. And uh, <laughs> so he, he pulled out this game and he goes, yeah, I have the Kickstarter copy. You had like with the titanium sides to the cards and, uh, so we're playing it. And of course I'm instantly sold. I'm like, I gotta get this game. So I ordered it that night, you know, and straight off your website shocked oh, at how you. cheap your shipping rates are. So I'll throw that out there to people that are going to, if they're going to order a game, check out these guys' website first, because you're probably going to get it cheaper there than off of Amazon. And, uh, and then I had the game, like it was like five days later. It's crazy. Uh, so we've uh, been pulling that out at now at game night, which has uh, been a lot of fun. When you guys create these games, which are these, for lack of a better word, gateway games, right? So um these are games that play in an hour or less, they're easy to teach, they're easy to learn, they got decent level of complexity, so you can have enjoyment for both new players as well as seasoned players. Um, but you come from you just said you came from a background of RPG. So it, it almost seems like this dichotomy, right? That, you know, why aren't these guys doing like dungeons and dragons type games like what led you to go into the the gateway side of the business was it was it andrew were you the one that said hey jeff like we're gonna <laughs> let's uh put the rpg aside let's focus on gateway or how did you guys go in that direction
1: no it's kind of funny like andrew and i grew up playing dungeons and dragons yeah and uh and then when we started working on this rpg thing i think it started kind of overcomplicated, but Uh, we found ourselves drawn to simplifying it right and so as we were developing our online rpg every year it would get simpler and simpler and simpler and that was sort of the puzzle and interesting piece of uh, piece of the whole game design process is like how do we get all these people to understand what we're saying in as little time as possible make as little maintenance and extra rules and by the end of it we had like a a, a really clean little system, and we were so proud of it. So I think that was sort of the the beginnings of us wanting to make
0: like really
1: boiled down games.
0: I imagine as full time publishers now too, you know, there's always an eye on um you know development, right? Here's our development plan for the next two three years, so to speak, and mapping out those different kickstars and so forth, and those different anchors. I gotta believe the development is faster. Right, uh, for a gateway game versus say something like an RPG, which is going to have a lot more written content and so forth in it. So I think even from a practicality standpoint, as a publisher, uh, it probably makes a lot of sense to kind of, you know, where you've kind of honed into the zone of um of gateway games. Other than obviously making accessible to more people, um, just from a practicality standpoint of turning around more titles, is that is that fair? One hundred percent. Yeah.
1: I was gonna say, from our experience uh, working on Fromage these past couple of years, it's been night and day difference. You know, um, most usually our our development process is has been uh, about a, about a year, but um, Fromage has been almost twice as much time working on it, despite uh, having a bigger team. You know, we teamed up with uh, Ben Rossett and Matthew O'Malley to work on this game, and um, just because the game's got so many more rules, it's that many more play tests to make sure you're uh, fine tuning every aspect of it, balancing every module of the game against all the other modules.
0: Yeah. I'm going to show this game in a second on the screen for people. And there's a bunch of people lobby here watching. So I'm going to, I'm going to actually share the screen in a second. But before I do that, how did you meet up with these guys and when did that decision process happen where you said, you know, we're going to move, or uh, evolve I guess is probably a better word because you see this often with uh, game designers that turn into publishers is you evolve from design, publish our own titles to okay now in order to keep uh, the frequency uh, going and now we have so much more of our resources internally focused on the actual launch and production of the games we don't have as much time to sit down and design um, what was that like for you guys to start now taking other people's titles and, and deciding to publish other people's games?
2: yeah so a bit to unpack but the way we met ben rossett is we were both living in logan square of chicago um and through mutual friends we we actually met don eskridge who made um like avalon and um you know a lot of great social deduction games and then he said hey every once a month i go to this designer board game play test night do you want to come and who was the person hosting that night? But Ben Rossett, who made you know between two cities. So we kind of really fell into like meeting all the all these great uh, Chicago designers. And after that, we just became really good friends with with Ben, and we've stayed in such great contact. So um, yeah, like a, a while ago now, he contacted us and said, "Hey." I'm looking to de- design something new. My schedule freed up. Do you guys have any concepts you want to work on? And Jeff emailed him a list of design concepts and he picked one out that we were, we had worked on for months, but couldn't figure out. Um, and he started getting to work on it. So a lot of what Fromage came from is just like this fun idea of like, we just wanted to be able to work with our our friends and like see where it would go. And yeah. so Um, I think we alluded to before we started the call, you're like, hey, this is a heavier game than you usually do. and It's like it is. It's like the brainchild of Ben Rosset who does a bunch of crunchy stuff and then our, um, you know, I don't know, just inherent need to simplify everything and like try and take something really big and see if we can get the rule set down and get it to a bigger audience without losing any of, you know, kind of the great complexity that he had designed into it, you yeah. know, so long ago. I think there's a second part to that question. Maybe Jeff
0: remembers. Yeah, I was going to say, even uh, with the, um, uh, you're you mentioning that uh, you had this idea. So how far along was the idea before you sent over to him? Was it just, hey, we want to do something to, about making cheese? It was as, as detailed as that, or did you
1: kind we, we of work a- on this whole... Yeah, we had a, a game called Cask that we were working on. It was a Scotch whiskey-themed game, okay. and it had the uh, a, uh, an aging mechanism. That, you know, fromage, it's about aging cheeses. In, our, in yeah. the original game, Cask, it had aging of Scotch whiskeys. Um, it worked very differently, and we had a fully working prototype prototype it was actually a dice game and then when we showed that to ben he's like oh yeah that's great that's a really good basis i'll work on that and what he came back with was something like a hundred percent different and didn't even have dice anymore and we're like whoa where where did you go with this but it still had this really intriguing like aging mechanism to it yeah. just in a very different way um and th- the theme was now cheese instead of whiskey and We're like this is this is awesome it's carrying a lot of like some of the the ideas from our original whiskey game in there but it's like a lot crunchier and thinkier and uh, a lot more euro strategy and we sort of fell in love with with that concept and it was a very collaborative process bouncing ideas back and forth driving over to each other's places until we found something that was like a really nice blend of both of our groups right had the euro style that they like had the like uh more simplified fewer rules that andrew and i like and i think what i hope we ended up with is like a really nice like level two game right like hey you like canvas you like a bunch of gateway games let's take one more step into uh you know a a deeper more euro experience
0: yeah and and quite frankly going with cheese is probably uh the right decision right because you have obviously with distilled which had just launched uh, and had great success and they're marking the absolute crap out of that game, you're going to have natural comparisons, right? If you come up with another kind of aged whiskey kind of a game. So um, taking kind of the the seeds of the idea, right? Because I'm sure your aging process and we're going to see here in a second is different than that game entirely. But being able to do with, with cheese kind of gives it a novel approach. Um, and so it's something that's completely different. All right, so let's take a look at this. Uh, First and foremost, guys, you launched yesterday and uh, I was watching the ticker tape on this and it was just spinning like a slot machine. It was crazy. Uh, I'm going to put this in Canadian dollars. It's the only way I can see it. Uh, But you're at 130, almost $137,000 raised so far since yesterday um, on a $13,500 goal. Absolutely smashed your target, obviously. 2023 backers so far still 26 days to go first and foremost congrats right congrats on that that is incredible and is certainly a testament not only to i think this game but also the experience you guys have accumulated up to this point in doing campaigns it it clearly shows on what you've done here um i'm going to start going through little pieces of this and you guys can kind of chime in why don't we start First, before we get into these like super cool components, let's talk about the overall essence of how do you play this game? What's, how what, Can you simplify the explanation of how you would play this game?
2: Is that for me? Okay. You um, The way you play the game is you have a set of three workers and the board is broken up into four sections with one section facing everyone who's playing. It could be two-player, three-player, four-player you get to play your workers to the board set that's in front of you by placing them onto the board. Then the board does a 90 degree turn so that um, the next um, section of the board is now facing you and you no longer get to interact or place workers at the the board that just left. However, based on how you placed your workers, basically aging your cheese, did you age really quick cheeses, really short-term cheeses, or did you try to make like a parmesan or or something um, workers will come back to you and allow you to then place them in this next location. So you're kind of playing four different mini board games all together. um, You and the players around you and you're all interacting with the board in front of you. And then it shifts. Then you have a new kind of puzzle to kind of figure out.
0: It looks super cool. This whole, um, I guess the four wedges that you click together to then form um uh, the board which is going to rotate on the table. I think you're the basic version you kind of just slide it on the table. The advanced version has a lazy susan that it sits on. Uh, but it's also I think it's a dual layer, but looks like it's like three-layer to me, because you actually have something that slides inside each of these wedges, right?
1: That's right. Yeah, it's a tri-layer board. Tri layer so board, cut yeah. Cutouts for your cheese bits, but also. A slot to that you can put little inserts in. it changes the positioning of each cheese so that each time you play the game it's a little bit different.
0: How many variations is there of this the uh, iterations and kind of permutations can you can you do?
1: You know, I had to ask our math professor friend <laughs> to figure it out because uh, I couldn't do it on my own. and he says there are five thousand four hundred twenty four possible setups.
0: Oh, that's so cool. It's so cool, and the meeples uh, that are attached, to the little wedges of cheese, which just nicely kind of click into the board. You've got these. You do punch outs of the basic version, but again, you do limited edition. You're getting, um, you know, printed wood meeples. Uh, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous game. I was a little bit surprised that the price was as low as it was. If that makes sense, um, like I would have expected uh, at the especially the limited edition, which again is layers upon layers, you've got you know, extra components, you've got wood components, seemed a little low. Was, there, was that a conscious decision for you guys or what was the thought process behind that?
2: Yeah, I, I think um, a lot of, uh, it, it's kind of twofold. We kind of thought what's a price point that people can kind of stomach nowadays or kind of see the page and say yeah. yes to. I think when you get over 50 and you get into the 60s, it's a lot harder to make that, you know, immediate um, purchase. I think the other thing too is I know like bigger miniature Kickstarters will put their price very high. yeah, And then they'll, because they know a bunch of stretch goals are coming. And so you kind of end up paying for the stretch goals at the front and then you get them at the back. And we really, I think, put out just like a really high premium product from the get-go and yeah. um, just started there and didn't go, we're gonna hide a bunch of real premium stuff behind or, or kind of mask anything from the backer. So I think it was like a transparency thing and also what we felt um, people would be really receptive to.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those price points where you're like this, this isn't a hard decision, right? Like it's, it's low enough. I think people are probably pretty quick on, on the uh, like on the, the buy now button. Right. Um, and I think it's on trend too, that we're starting to see more and more campaigns now where companies are not playing the classic games of, okay, let's create like a super basic version and then add it create all these fake stretch goals and then kind of, add it all back in and stuff I'm going to give you anyways. Like I'm starting to see more and more campaigns saying, you know what? We're not playing games. We're giving you the best possible game we can get out of the gate. And uh, if it's for you, great. If it's not, that's fine, but we're not going to do this kind of dance with the, uh, with the fake stretch goals. So kudos to you guys on that. How much testing? Cause this is a question that would probably pop in my mind or did pop my mind yesterday you've got these four wedges that click together. So how do they click together? Is it like, is there some kind of a notch it sits in or how does that kind of work? And then how much testing did you guys do with that to make sure these boards are going to kind of um, last, right? Over time.
1: Yeah, so there's they puzzle piece together on the bottom layer of the board, uh, which is kind of fun because after you piece them together, uh, you actually can't see that seam anymore. There's just yeah. a straight seam between the, the quadrants um because it's only that bottom layer that has that male female connection
0: oh i see okay yeah
1: um but uh yeah it's it's been a it's been a long process of you know <laughs> testing out various versions of it and i you know very recently received a slightly revised version that has you know a wider male ends of the puzzle piece connectors any you know just subtle subtle change after subtle change so many versions to just improve it make sure that you know it'll it'll hold up it'll last the pieces will will stay together as well as possible in any orientation that was another um challenging bit uh of the of the sort of uh, engineering of it is like you have to ensure that no matter which two pieces next to are next to each other they fit snugly even though it's like possibly a different die cut line yeah. so a little bit of a manufacturing challenge there
0: a little bit of engineering involved that's crazy now is this a path that you guys plan to take now as a company to get into some of these crunchier games these little bit uh you know say as you said like a level two up a, up a level or is this kind of like a one and done like what's is it is it a plan or is it just something that kind of just happened by circumstance
1: um I'm, i'd am i say that i mean the doors, is the door is open now you know we had a lot of fun doing this. I th- I think um, we will probably, uh, if it's just me and Andrew, we'll probably always lean toward doing, you know, our bread and butter, our more welcoming style games. Yeah. I would never shut the door on like, oh, we'll never do a, you know, another you know, meteor game or medium weight game. Um, but uh, I think that's what we excel at. But uh, we're always opening to, to partnering with other designers too. And if we've meet other designers that just have the right game. Sometimes you just gotta you gotta jump on it. And uh, even if it's a little bit out of your comfort zone, it's just been a really fun design experience in that way.
2: Yeah, I feel like we follow really interesting component mechanisms or ways to play a game. So this kind of rotating the board in simultaneous worker placement like hooked us right from the beginning. Yeah. We're like basically we've never seen a game do it quite like this or have that simultaneous play. So Yeah, I I think it's... For us, We I think we want to leave it open to just like a cool, surprising way to present a game and play a game is the thing we're after every time.
0: I guess at the end of the day, it comes down to, is it fun, right? Is is it a fun game? Is it something you get excited about? And that's kind of the... Kind of that first step to decide, okay, is this right for the portfolio, right? What do you guys have coming next? Is there... Like I know you guys have got it mapped out. Like, can you talk about it? Is there something coming after fromage? Like, what's what's next on deck?
1: Yeah, we we've always got projects that we're working on. Um, something that kind of came up when we were doing the canvas finishing touches Kickstarter campaign is everyone was asking for a a big box. Yeah, uh. and uh, so that's something we've we've been uh, sort of toying with and experimenting with uh, different ideas of. Cool box designs, right? I'm trying to do something a little more than just a uh, a large empty two-piece box. You know, we if if we do something like this, we want it to be a really cool product piece that you're you're proud of. Something that makes the setup real easy. So, we've been putting some time and effort into that. We've talked to the artist, and he was interested in the project too. Um, so, we don't have a formal like. <laughs> launch or anything it's still in early stages but it's definitely a project that is in motion right now
2: oh that sounds amazing yeah i would say look out for a really innovative big box project from us
0: oh that sounds cool because i even know like the current box like the way everything fits in there nicely the way the the mat rolls up um even quite frankly the um the the box the deck holder right for dealing out the cards it's just so elegant how it sits on the table and you can pull your one card out at a time. It holds everything nice in place. You don't have to worry about the stack kind of falling over and, and things. So it's clear you guys put a lot of thought in this kind of stuff, which is, which is awesome to see. For anybody that wants to check out this campaign, I encourage them to check it out. I'm backing it myself for sure. Uh, it, it just looks super cool. Go to uh, on Kickstarter, type in Fromage. You'll find it uh, or I'll put uh, links in the show notes. If people go to the show notes, you'll see a link directly to the campaign there. Check it out. Uh, Jeff, Andrew, I want to wish you all the best in this campaign. I can't wait to see uh, where this lands and can't wait to get my copy.
2: Thank Thanks you. for having and Thank us. you Cheers. for having us on.
0: No worries, guys. You take care. Cheers. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you'd like to watch these interviews live, simply subscribe to our YouTube channel, Board Game Binge. And you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.